Welcome to ABC News Live. I'm Zach Rikish here in New York City. We appreciate you getting uh, or spending some time with us today. Excuse me. We got a bunch of stuff to get to. Check this out. Michael Cohen and uh, Donald Trump. The secret tapes have been revealed. We're talking about those conversations today. We'll get to that in just a bit. Uh, and check this out. We have flooding on the East Coast. We have extreme heat out West. We're going to get to that later as well. But first, we're going to touch things off with today's headlines. The Trump administration will extend $12 billion in emergency aid to farmers hurt by the trade war with China. The government said that 1,012 of the 2,551 separated migrant children ages 5 to 17 have now been successfully reunited with their parents. The government says it expects almost all of the children who are eligible for reunification will be back with their parents by Thursday's court-ordered deadline. The judge praising the government, saying its progress is a remarkable achievement. Yosemite Valley and Wawona in Yosemite National Park are closing at noon because of the Ferguson fire. Nearly 38,000 acres have burned since the fire started on Friday the 13th with just 25% containment. The FBI has now joined the hunt for missing college student Molly Tibbetts in Brooklyn, Iowa. She was last seen on her jogging route Wednesday. In her new song, Sober, released last month, Demi Lovato sings about relapsing. Mama, I'm so sorry, I'm not sober anymore. Now those lyrics read as a cry for help. Lovato taken to the hospital Tuesday after what appears to be a drug overdose. The superstar singer has battled addiction for years, several stints in treatment for drugs and eating disorders. She's been very open about her struggles, something that has given support and comfort to her millions of fans. Now it appears she needs that support. Back to our top story, these explosive tapes revealed. We're joined now by our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, in Washington, D.C. Pierre is going to break this all down for us. Uh, first of all, uh, these explosive recordings, president speaking with his attorney, Michael Cohen. Uh, has Trump responded, Pierre? He, he certainly has, Zachary. Good morning. A war of words between Donald Trump and his attorney is heating up with the release of that tape conversation between the two that we're hearing for the very first time. Great poll, by the way. Seen it. Great poll. Making progress. Big time. You're hearing something highly unusual. A private conversation between an attorney and his client. In this case, then-candidate Donald Trump, in September of 2016, speaking with the fixer, his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, who is secretly recording the conversation. Donald Trump, apparently completely unaware he's being taped, asking for refreshments. Give me a conflict. They don't have a legitimate purpose. And now a critical part of the tape that's in dispute. Cohen and Trump seemingly discussing the National Enquirer's purchase of a story from former Playboy model Karen McDougal, who claims she had an affair with Trump. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David. David, according to sources, is apparently Trump's friend David Pecker, CEO of America Media Incorporated, which owns the National Enquirer. American Media paid $150,000 for McDougal's story, but killed it before the election. Cohen and Trump then discussed setting up a shell company to buy the rights to the Enquirer's McDougal story and perhaps others. When it comes time for the financing, which will be 
What financing? Well, I have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got no, no, no. Cohen's attorney suggests that Trump's mentioning of cash is indicative of someone planning to engage in illegal activity. But Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani suggesting last night that Trump was doing everything by the book, that there's nothing illegal about the conversation, that he wanted any transaction to be handled by check, which can be documented. Giuliani also calling into Fox News. We listened to it numerous, numerous times, and the transcript makes it quite clear at the end that President Trump says, quote, don't pay with cash. The emerging feud between Trump's legal team and Michael Cohen, who used to be part of Trump's innermost circle, is now fully engaged. For the record, Giuliani says Trump never paid any money to buy and control the Playmate story. Zachary? Pierre, great job with that story. We really appreciate you kind of spelling it out for us. Uh, My question is, uh, again, why is this tape so important? What does it say? Well, again, the tape deals with this whole issue of how were these stories being handled in regard to, uh, in this case, the Playboy model who claims that she had an affair with uh, then-candidate Trump. And the question that the U.S. Attorney's Office wants to resolve is, okay, were they trying to cover up the story because that the president was simply trying to keep it away from his family, or was it being covered up in order to maintain his candidacy? That's the critical issue. And Trump uh, has responded to this, I understand? Yes, he's tweeting up and tweeting, responding to Cohen, saying, quote, what kind of lawyer would tape a client? So sad. This is the first. Never heard of it before. Why was the tape so abruptly terminated? Zachary? Thank you so much, Pierre. Have a great day. Thank you. We're going to pivot now and uh, talk to Karen Travers. She's on the North Lawn of the White House. She's talking about uh, this big meeting today, the president and the European Commission. They're going to be talking about tariffs and a whole host of other things. Uh, Kara, uh, excuse me, Karen, um, what is this uh, conversation today supposed to be all about? Yeah, the president is really on quite a tear in the last couple of weeks about trade and tariffs and what he sees are bad and unfair deals to the United States. Now, just kind of like walk back a little bit here. There's been this escalating trade war between the U.S. and China, also Mexico and some European countries. And the president has said that, uh, you know, he's not going to back down from his tough positions. But yesterday, the administration acknowledged, Zachary, that these policies are having a negative impact on on American farmers. There's been damage done because prices have fallen as China has put tariffs on American exports. So yesterday we heard from the agriculture secretary who says that the administration will do a $12 billion short-term emergency aid package to help those farmers that are hurt by the president's policies. This is going to come in the form of payments directly to farmers. They'll be purchasing excess crops. All of this is going to start in September, which of course is very conveniently timed right before the midterm elections. Zachary, the reaction on Capitol Hill yesterday was very fierce and it was very strong. You had Republicans from some of those farm states saying this is not the way to go. This is welfare for farmers. They say they don't need handouts. What they need are barriers to be broken down. They need free trade. They need open markets. Uh, $12 billion yesterday from the administration doesn't need to be approved by Congress. So for now, they can move forward on this. But Zachary, if the administration wants to ask Congress for more money, it's very unlikely they're going to get it. They say it's the tariffs. That's what Republicans say. The tariffs are what have to go. 
Wow. So we're starting to see some of the ripple effects of, of these tariffs that we've talked about for the last number of weeks, some help for farmers. Are we getting a reaction from the president uh, by the way of tweets as it relates to, to this issue? Yeah, he's defending these policies. Yesterday he was speaking in Kansas City, Missouri, and he said, acknowledging essentially that he knows there's been a negative impact. But he also said, be patient uh, because there the help is coming. He made this promise back in April that the farmers would be taken care of, and that's what they say they're doing. But Zachary, the criticism is that this is really just a Band-Aid, a $12 billion Band-Aid being put on what critics are saying is a self-inflicted wound by the administration. Karen Travis for us at the White House. Thank you so much. I hope you have a great day. Thanks, you too. We're going to go to David Curley now. He's in Hershey, Pennsylvania. They've had some incredible flooding there. And uh, David has the latest for us. David. Zachary, it's been five days now that the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast have been pummeled by this system that basically has been stalled. And in Maryland, just to the south of us, nearly 14 of inches of rain in the past five days. But I just wanted you to take a look. Here we are in Hershey, and you can see these drainage pipes of how much water is flowing through. In fact, on the other side of this road is a neighborhood that one of the drains, according to a resident we spoke to, got clogged, and it started flooding the entire street and the basements. Rescuers had to come in with boats this morning to rescue a lot of folks in that neighborhood just on the other side of the road. You can see this is actually probably designed as a drainage area. This is actually a golf course. Take a look down. That's supposed to be just green grass, but this is how much water has been flowing over the last several days. And in Pennsylvania and the Northeast today, they're talking about another inch or two of rain. This is why flash flood watches are still in effect for many of these areas. This should be the last day of this storm that's been sitting over us since Saturday. And I'm sure, Zachary, if you were out over the weekend, as many people along the mid-Atlantic and the Northeast, been getting plenty wet over the last five days. David, thank you so much for that. Uh, we're gonna go to, uh, to Mel Griffin now. She's in the Weather Center, and she's gonna give us a little bit more details about how long uh, this rain's gonna last. Mel? Thanks, Zachary. So, I mean, it has just been a really stalled pattern here, just dropping tons of rain for parts of the East Coast. Widespread seven to over 10 inches of rain in just the past couple of days for places like Pennsylvania, Maryland, North Carolina, and Virginia. And I want to show you why here. So this is the pattern I'm talking about. We have these two steering forces. We have a deep trough in the East, the Bermuda High in the Atlantic. Now, both of those are just pushing this almost fire hose of moisture. We call that an atmospheric river. Abundant moisture just hitting the East Coast. And this has been the problem for the past couple of days. Take a place like Baltimore, right near where David was. Over 13 inches of rain in just the past week. It's now their wettest July on record. So here are the flash flood watches. Some 30 million people under flash flood watches again today. This has been lasting for days. North Carolina up through New York under the flash flood watches. You see those rounds of heavy rain basically hitting the same spots over and over again. The ground already so saturated. And we're going to watch this front move east. More heavy rain moving through the northeast today. And as David said, this should be the last day of the very heavy rain, but we have to get through it first. The Weather Prediction Center is forecasting a high risk for flash flooding for central Pennsylvania and parts of western New York. Now, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which is in that high-risk area, another place with the wettest July on record with over 10 inches of rain, Zachary. Wow, Mel. And uh, they're just getting torn up out west, too. We're seeing these, these high, high heats. Uh, any chances that they're going to get a reprieve anytime soon? 
Well, we're talking about this stuck pattern, and they're stuck in a heat wave there in the southwest. Record high yesterday in Death Valley, California, 127 degrees. Phoenix reaching 116 yesterday as a record high, and it's just going to continue today. Take a look at the excessive heat warnings stretching across the southwest and heat advisories even all the way up into Portland, Oregon today. Look at some of these numbers. Now, we were talking about days of record highs, and it continues today. 116 again possible in Phoenix. 90s in downtown Los Angeles. Burbank, 100 degrees. Now, these are all records that could possibly break, and even as far north as Portland in the mid-90s, and that's been lasting all week. So these temperatures paired with the dry humidity, gusty winds, monsoon storms could bring dry lightning. All of that is really terrible ingredients for those fires that they're also fighting out west. We do think that the record heat will probably end today or tomorrow, but it is going to stay hot and it is going to stay dry out west. Hopefully, if you're out west, you can find some water. It sounds like about the only thing uh, to do this time of year. Thank you so much, Mel. Have a great day. Uh, we are going to uh, head out to Greece now. These wildfires have just been out of control. They've led to a number of fatalities. We're joined now by Ian Panel with the latest. Ian? Hi, Zachary. Well, I want to show you one of the houses of the residents in the Greek village of Mati. This was the epicenter of the firestorm that swept through here. Hard to imagine this used to be someone's home, right? Apparently there used to be a couch here. You can see the remnants of someone's cup, a few little bowls on the ground there. And this belonged to the bedroom of one of the residents of the house, a young man who is uh, in his early 30s. You can still feel the intensity of the heat here, so that's what remains of the bed. You can see the, the metal frame of the mattress. Obviously someone's desk here. Apparently he was an avid reader. And this is all that remains of his books. Now, luckily, he's okay. He's in hospital. Uh, he suffered some burns, apparently, because he was trying to help other people escape. And the only means of escape that night, the fire was so intense, it moved so fast, gale-force winds of up, to, of up to 67 miles an hour is out there. The sea was the only saving grace for the people who lived here. Otherwise, even more would have perished. So what happened is the people who were able to, they went down that path, there are steps that lead down to the sea, but already the fire had moved behind them. So the brush and the twigs and the shrubs that are around the seaside were already on fire. So when they got there, they literally had to run into the water. Now, of course, some of the residents here are elderly. So what we're told by the residents of the house is their relatives ran into the water and they were up to pretty much chest high and they stood there for four hours. So that's as far out as they could go without being forced to swim. But also they had this area just thick with the smoke of the intensity of this fire. So thick that you couldn't tell where the sea was. You couldn't see where the land was. You couldn't see where the sky was. They lost sight of the moon because bear in mind this was happening at night. And it wasn't until four hours later that slowly the lights, if you can see the harbour up there, started to emerge and the boats, the fishing boats that came out of that harbour came out to sea and started to pick people up. That didn't stop many people being unable to reach the sea and sadly dying. In the neighbouring property there were 26 people huddled together, parents sheltering their children, trying to keep them safe. They died from the smoke and eventually of course their bodies were consumed by the intensity of the fire. Now this is a process of recovery and investigation. There is a suspicion that this was started deliberately, although the people, no doubt, had no intention of causing this much death and destruction. But many questions will be asked about how this was able to happen and why so many people died. Back to you, Zachary. 
Ian, thank you so much uh, for your help there in Greece. We're going to go from Greece to the UK. We're joined by Julia McFarlane. She's in London. We're talking about WikiLeaks founder and former hacker Julian Assange. She's been staying at the Ecuadorian embassy there in London for some time now. I mean, and this story has been going on for years, about 12 years now. Um, it sounds like there might be some changes to his living, living arrangements, but first of all, I want to back up and just talk about who is Assange. Who is this guy? Julia? Hey, Zachary. Yes, of course, as you say, there may be some changes. Uh, Mr. Assange may be going from the hospitality of the Ecuadorians to Her Majesty's government. But uh, just a little recap on, on uh, who the man is uh, who's been living literally in an apartment on the first floor uh, just in the embassy behind me since June 2012. Julian Assange, he's an Australian. He's now an Ecuadorian. He's got Ecuadorian uh, citizenship. He is a former uh, computer programmer and hacker. And he set up the notorious website WikiLeaks, which is, of course, responsible um, for, you know, groundbreaking uh, scoops and publishings of tr a treasure trove of classified and unredacted documents, a, a lot of CIA classified documents, American diplomatic cables, and of course, uh, who, can, and who can forget the, uh, the massive DNC email dump back in the 2016 uh, presidential election. So he is wanted, he's being sought by police on uh, charges of sexual assault allegations in Sweden. Uh, but he has uh, claimed asylum uh, in the Ecuadorian embassy uh, behind me uh, since 2012 because he fears and his supporters feel that as soon as he steps out into the street, uh, he will be uh, immediately detained by British authorities and may be extradited to the US for his role in WikiLeaks publishing all those uh, covert uh, secret documents. Mm -hmm. WikiLeaks certainly has uh, been uh, quite damaging to a number of institutions. I'm curious still, why is he in the Ecuadorian embassy at this, at this moment? Yeah, I mean, it's something people ask, you know, why Ecuador? Why did he choose uh, this country? Um, I mean, for, uh, for, for several years, the, the president of Ecuador... Um, Rafael Correa, he, uh, his administration had quite a, quite a difficult relationship with the US. Uh, the year before Assange uh, knocked on this door uh, uh, seeking a diplomatic asylum, uh, the Ecuadorians were very upset over re relevations. That actually came uh, from a WikiLeaks dump that uh, showed that the Americans believed that Rafael Correa, he hired, knowingly hired, supposedly, um, a corrupt police chief. Uh, and so there, there are lots of different reasons, but also Latin American countries, they, they often uh, grant diplomatic asylum cases. Um, and, uh, you know, so we, we don't really know. But it, it served him well uh, for, uh, since 2012. He has been in the embassy since then. He has not set a foot outside. Uh, a few times over the years, he's gone out onto the balcony to give press statements and things like that. But he's literally been stuck there um, for years. But there's a new change of administration now. The new president... Uh, Lenin Moreno, he really wants to rebuild ties with the U.S. And that is why uh, everyone is expecting the Ecuadorians uh, to remove Assange. Also, Assange has been a bit of, he's described as an inherited problem for the Ecuadorians. Um, they cut off his Internet a few months ago, so he hasn't had any contact with the outside world uh, for three months. Uh, the Ecuadorians also quite upset with uh, Julian Assange's uh, tweeting in support of Catalan in, uh, independence, uh, which has really soured relations with, um, with Madrid. Uh, so there is movement. Um, there have been uh, reports that the British and the Ecuadorians are currently sort of working on an agreement uh, on handing uh, Assange over to the British authorities. When that's going to happen, we don't know. Maybe imminently, um, but when that <coughs> moment happens, it's going to be a gra it's going to be a gravitational moment, uh, and the world's eyes will be on it.
Julie McFarlane for us in London, thank you so much. We really appreciate your insight. We're going to talk now about this really bizarre situation, this standoff out in uh, California at a Trader Joe's. Newly released footage uh, from this standoff. It shows this high-speed chase and a gun battle. Uh, I'm joined now by Kena Whitworth. Kena? Zachary, I'm here in Silver Lake uh, in front of the Trader Joe's. You can see it's all um, boarded up here. It's a really somber feeling out here, I have to say. Uh, we learned yesterday from LAPD themselves, they found out through their investigation that it was in fact a bullet from one of the officer's guns that killed the 27-year-old assistant manager here, uh, Melly Corrado at Trader Joe's. The officer said that really that is every officer's worst nightmare to injure an innocent civilian during a violent encounter. And he said that the video they released they also point out it's a heartbreaking reminder of the split-second decisions that these officers have to face every single day. Um, and I want to show you behind me what's happening right now is these are Trader Joe's employees. Um, they just showed up, and what they're doing is they're replacing the flowers, the memorial out here. They're bringing fresh flowers from in the store, and they're taking out some of the ones um, that have died. It's been really, really hot here, so it's been hard for these flowers to make it. So they've actually been carting out all of these fresh flowers um, and they're replacing them. It's really a heartwarming scene to see that. And as you walk through here, I want to share with you, I know my photographer doesn't have a lot of space to move, but there's this one note that really touched me right here. It says, thanks for the compliment, Melly, on one of the loneliest days in LA. I mean, isn't that amazing that someone stopped by to write this note to Melly? The impact that she clearly had on this person. Um, I mean, that could have been a life-changing day for that person. So people here in the community have been stopping by. They want to leave notes, letters, flowers. There's a note from her family uh, as well on the wall. So it's really hard for this community, but they're trying to come together. Um, the Trader Joe's will remain closed until further notice. They say they want to give their employees the time they need to process what happened and try and recover. Uh, the suspect did appear in court yesterday. Um, the judge nearly doubled his bail. His bail is at nearly $19 million right now, and he's facing 31 felony counts, including murder and kidnapping. And if he is convicted, he could face life in prison. And Zachary, he will appear in court again next month. Thank you, Kane. A tough story there in California. Some, some good news uh, out on the West Coast, at least for one winner. In the 522 Mega Million Dollar Jackpot from a store out there in California, we're joined now by Gio Benitez, who has the story. Gio? Hey there, Zachary. Yeah, one very, very lucky winner. One actually got that $522 million jackpot and woke up a very rich person today. $308 million if they take that lump sum cash payout. Now, we don't know who won that lottery, but we do know where it was sold. And that was in San Jose, California, over at Ernie's Liquors over there, a liquor store there in San Jose, California. It's, by the way, the fifth largest Mega Millions jackpot in American history. Now, by the way, if you're wondering, what are the odds of winning something like that? Well, one in nearly 303 million. So it just underscores how lucky that person was. But obviously, if you didn't win that jackpot, you still have a chance because more than three million winning tickets were sold with prizes ranging from $2 to a million dollars. So check that ticket right now. Uh, my ticket, not one of those. <laughs> Zachary, back to you. Didn't have a winner, he said. Didn't have a winner. That's it for today's show. We appreciate you joining us. You can get more information from abcnews.com or you can always check us out 
on our app. Again, I'm Zachary Keish. We appreciate your time and have a great day.